0: The Bible is all you need in your life for faith and practice and godliness and righteousness and holiness towards God. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Shoreline Church Podcast. You're listening to Doxology, a sermon series through seven essential Psalms. For more audio and theological content, Visit this is shoreline.com Good morning Shoreline. My name is Dan. I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Your pastor, Pilgrim, I have really treasured his friendship. We haven't known each other all that long, maybe a little bit more than a year, but he is a blessing to me and it's Certainly an honor to preach in his uh, pulpit here this morning before you. So we're going to trust the Lord this morning for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and that we might be changed and challenged. Because you know what? We know that the gospel is true. Amen? And you know how I know that? Just a few minutes ago, I just saw a Steelers fan hug a Patriots fan. (laughs) Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel brings those guys together. Amen. Amen. Well, um, open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. I get the privilege today to conclude your series called Doxology, which is a study in the Psalms. And Pilgrim gave me the longest Psalm to preach this morning. And uh, thank you, Pilgrim. I appreciate that. And so, but we're not going to preach all 176 verses. I heard what he said last week, so don't let, him get, don't let that scare you. But Psalm 119 is where we'll be. Let's just open with a word of prayer and ask God to open up our heart, open up our eyes to see the truth that he wants us to communicate today. Father in heaven, we pray for your filling this morning. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would be with your people this morning as they hear the word of God preached. I pray as the psalmist prays in Psalm 119.18 that you would open up our eyes to see great and wondrous things from your law. And Father, may we leave here today making much of Jesus and having our hearts satisfied in you, knowing that your word is Sufficient in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 119 is comprised of, as I've already said, 176 verses. It is broken down beautifully, poetically. It is made up of 22 stanzas. It's a long song, each stanza has eight verses each. It, it's so beautiful, the symmetry and the poetry of this psalm. It's also an acrostic as the first word in each stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In your Bibles, you probably see the Hebrew um, names or letters in the beginning of each stanza. And it's an acrostic all the way down. Psalm 19's main theme is the Word of God. It is the word of God, and the psalmist uses eight different words to describe God's word. And as you read it, you will see him describe it. He just doesn't say the scripture or the Bible or the word. He calls it, for example, the law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. Every time you see one of those descriptions, he's talking about the Word of God. Matter of fact, only in five stanzas of the 22, all eight of those descriptions are used. And the other 17 have at least six of the eight. It's so beautifully written, only God could have inspired such a piece of work like this. This is more specifically not just about the Word of God but it's about the psalmist's love relationship and the intimacy he experiences with this Word and how it applies to his life. And you got to think about this. The psalmist, when he's talking about God's Word, doesn't have a Bible with 66 books in his hand like we do. Matter of fact, he probably didn't even have it in his hand as he would have had to have gone to the temple to hear the Word of God proclaimed and read weekly. He was referring to the first five books of our Bible, which the Jews call the Torah, the law of God, Genesis through Deuteronomy, which is written by Moses. Now, all of us here, uh, I would think, would affirm that God's Word is authoritative, meaning if the Bible says it, we believe it, and we practice it in that way. I, I don't think there's much debate today amongst us About that. But it goes much deeper than just having the Word of God being your authority. The Word of God in Psalm 119, and this is the main theme, a deeper main theme, is that the Word of God is just not authoritative for life, telling us what to do, but it is also sufficient for life. In other words, God's Word is enough. Say that with me god's word is enough this is at the heartbeat of what the psalmist is describing Uh, the bible is all you need in your life for faith and practice and godliness and righteousness and holiness towards god now when we say that the bible is all you need for everything in life we're not talking obviously that the bible teaches you how to change a flat tire right We're not talking it teaches you how to invest your money or to uh, fly a helicopter or even teach you karate. So you, you know what I'm talking about. The Bible is sufficient for godliness and living the life God wants you to live for Him. The sufficiency of Scripture can be best defined as this. Stephen Lawson, a great Bible teacher, says, it is the Bible's supernatural ability when rightly proclaimed and properly followed, to produce any and all spiritual results intended by God. This is a question I want you to ask yourself as we go throughout this sermon. Is the Bible, is God's Word enough? If there was no music, if there was no other activities or groups to meet in, would his people still gather to hear the word taught? Is the Bible enough in your life? This is the teaching what the apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul certainly believed that the Word of God is enough. How do sinners get saved? Well, I know we got to do all these gimmicks and tricks and, and you know, just kind of motivate them in that way so they think Jesus is cool, right? No, the Bible's enough to save sinners for the glory of God. This is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. There is a supernatural ability within the word. It's not man's word, it's God's word. And because it is God's word, it is enough. We need to look at the scriptures as our oxygen. Sometimes I think we only go to the Bible when we need a deep breath, think Maybe sometimes people live that way. Oh, I really need God right now. I really need to hear from the Lord. But see, that's not living with a sufficiency, the Bible's enough mentality. The sufficiency of Scripture implies you can't live without it. Matter of fact, 17 times in Psalm 119, the psalmist uses the word, Lord, I need to live give me your word there is no life apart from with you apart from your word this for the psalmist there was no life apart from the law of God in his life I'll tell you I read Psalm 19 at least 25 times in preparation for this message trying to hone in on what the Lord was impressing upon me to share with you today If I were to preach this psalm in my own church that I pastor, I would probably break it up into 22 weeks and just go one stanza a week because it is loaded with truth. And there is just no way that I could even begin to do it any kind of justice this morning to tell you all that Psalm 119 says and in all the ways that it is sufficient for life. So I challenge you to go home and read it. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read it, if you read it at a good pace so you can comprehend. And let it absorb and to sink into your heart to see how God is using his word through the psalmist. So what I've done today, I've selected three ways that God's word is sufficient for life that these themes are repeated and repeated. And, And it's also very interesting. It's not like one stanza is all about this theme and this stanza is all about this theme. It's spread all over. I mean, there's just not one consistent theme in each stanza. They're all spread about. And so it's difficult to preach really verse by verse in this way to get the full comprehension of this. But anyway, I've selected three different ways that the Word of God is sufficient for our life, according to the psalmist. Number one, the Word of God is sufficient for the battle against sin. Look at, look at verse 9 with me and see what the psalmist says. It is sufficient for the battle against sin. He says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Boy, that's a great question, isn't it? How can we keep our way pure? As believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to seek to live holy lives that reflect the nature and the character of God. He is doing this work in us. To sin is to be impure. It's to be unlike God. So the question for us as we are being sanctified, being made holy into the image of Jesus Christ is, how can I not do those things that would make me impure, that I would sin against God? And the psalmist had this question for his own life. God, I want to live for you. How do I do this? And he answers his own question. He says, by guarding it according to your word. See, God's word is our defense For holy living that word guard there means a defense the word teaches us who god is what he's like what he wants to do to go contrary to his laws to go contrary to god god is pure he's holy he's righteous and he's called us to do be the same the scriptures proclaim that god has said be holy why because i'm holy there's no other reason. This is the expectation. Holiness is not something that we do to ascribe some righteousness in ourselves to become like God. But holiness is what God does in us through his Holy Spirit to make us more Christ-like. It, it is the word of God that reveals who God is. For example, in the Ten Commandments, who the would have, what the psalmist would have known and probably would have been referring to, We know that in the Ten Commandments it says, don't commit adultery. What does that teach us about God? God is faithful. It says, don't bear false witness. What does that teach us about God? God is honest. It says, don't covet. What does that teach us about God? He's content. It says, don't murder. What does that teach us about God? That he values life. And so the scriptures reflect the God that we are to imitate and to emulate, and how do we keep our way pure and avoid the path of sin? We look to the Word which teaches us, which guards us, which defends us in what we are to do. He doesn't give a list of ways. Here's 10 practical steps to stay pure. How do we do this, God? We guard it according to your Word. He gives one way. Why? Because the Word of God is enough. There is always power that will keep you uh, pure, and that is its obedience to the word of God. Look at verse 10, he says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. This is not an endeavor to take lightly. It must be done with all body, soul, and spirit. He prays for God to help him in his fight to stay pure. And you can't do it alone. Maybe you've confessed sins to God and you said, okay, God, I need to stop doing this. Help me. And then you go right back to what you were doing. Why? Because there's no safeguards in your life. You don't have the influx of the word of God in your life every day. You have to understand that you can't do it yourself. You must have God's spirit and you must have God's word. But he does more than just guard himself. He goes on the attack as well. He says in verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He does this by storing God's word or hiding. The the idea there is a treasure. It's a hidden treasure. But if you want to keep something secure and safe, especially back in this day you would go bury it in the ground so you could have it for later make sure no one steals it or compromises it and that you have it when you need it this is what he's saying here how do we keep our way pure well we guard it against the word but how do we do that we have to know the word you know and we have little excuse because they didn't have the printing press back then did you know that you know, they, they didn't have their own personal copies of the Bible back in the psalmist's day. The scriptures were written on scrolls and they were copied. And you had to go and hear the word of God. For crying out loud, folks, we've got the Bible in our pockets, don't we? We, we, we could pull up any translation, any language in seconds on our smartphones. I can even have the Bible in my watch. And yet the psalmist was making plans, and he had access to none of that. Why? He knows that if he's going to win this battle against sin, it has to be fought with the Word of God. Hmm. He says in verse 12, "'Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches.'" I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So beautiful. He's making a commitment to hearing the word that he had heard. And, and if you were a good Jew, you memorized the Bible, the Torah, Memorized. not just a verse here and there so you could stick it in your pocket, not a verse that you could just put on a T-shirt or a coffee mug. No, no, no. They just didn't memorize verses because there was no such a thing. It, they memorized entire books of the Bible. And some of them even knew the entire Old Testament, the entire law. What devotion, what commitment. But... How do we do it, and why do we do it? The Word of God is enough. Now, we're praising the psalmist here for for some wonderful things that he has said about God's Word, but we have to understand that the psalmist is himself a very flawed and sinful man. He did sin, even though he hid God's Word in his heart. He wasn't perfect. He did forget God's Word, I'm sure, even though he said, I will not forget God's Word. I'm sure he wasn't perfect in his memorizing, and so we could look to him for some, okay, that's wonderful instruction, but we have a better example than the psalmist. We have a better example than the psalmist here that models for us that God's word is enough to fight against the battle of sin in our life. And I don't use the word battle lightly. It's a war. It's a war, and you know it. It's a war between your flesh and the Spirit of God that are in constant disagreement. Your flesh wants one thing and the Spirit of God wants another. You want to please yourself and to gratify yourself and to glorify yourself, and the Spirit of God wants you to glorify Christ. That's a battle that you and I wake up with every day. But there is one who fought the battle and won, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our supreme example in knowing that God's word is enough against the temptations of sin. And if you would think with me to Matthew 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. And Matthew records for us three of those temptations. I'm led to believe that there were more than just three but there was at least three times that he tempted him during that time and even at the end matthew writes and he left him for a season remember jesus every time satan came to him now he's jesus what does he do when satan comes to him every time jesus quotes scripture if the psalmist needed to do it okay great That's wonderful. Maybe it's a good idea. But when you see Jesus do it, when you see Jesus model that same plan of attack, you better instill that into your life as well. Remember, he is written. That's how he starts. Why start like that, Jesus? Because the Bible, God's word, is enough. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Whoa. Bread fills my stomach. It helps me live. But that's not enough. Every word of God. And as you continue on through Psalm 119, you see many examples of this where he repeatedly asked God for help and obe- obedience and, and desire and delight to help him in his depression. It's always the word of God that he asks God to help him. And Jesus says it. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, God's word is enough. It's sufficient for the task at hand and it's a task that we will be faced with every day. I'm sure you woke up this morning and you've already had a battle in your heart over your flesh. What will you do? Maybe you're saying, yeah, I am struggling, Dan. I'm really struggling in this way. I would examine deeper how to overcome those battles through God's word. The second thing we see in Psalm 119, And again, there's many examples of this. Not only is the Word of God sufficient for the battle against sin, but secondly, it is sufficient for dust-clinging and sorrowful souls. Let me say that again. It is sufficient for dust-clinging and sorrowful souls. Look at verse 25 with me. The psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The word cling there, that his soul is clinging, is to be attached. It's to be glued together. It's to hold on to. What does his life naturally want to hold on to? Dust. Dust. Now, you might say, that's an odd thing to be attracted to. I mean, does anyone have an addiction to dust? (laughs) Right? Not literal dust. This word means more than just the literal dust in your home that you, you know, clean before your company comes over. Right? This word dust, the the Hebrew word can be translated soil or rubble, ground or sand, This is what's natural for us. The psalmist is admitting it. God, my soul, I am attracted to things that don't matter. I waste my time. I'm wasting my life, consuming my heart and mind with things that pollute me, that corrupt me, that distract me. It's clinging. My life clings to it naturally. We love this present world. And we try to find our joy in that dust, don't we? We do. We consume ourselves. We like to eat dust and expect to be satisfied. And every single one of us has a different dust that your soul clings to. You know, on Tuesday, two days from now, Apple will announce the iPhone 11 Pro. You've heard it here first. Apple products are my dust. Oh, I'm, I have had to repent of my idolatry. I'm consumed with apple this and apple that. And it was pretty bad, really bad before. And every week, I tell, every year, I tell my wife, You know, babe, I need that new iPhone. I I just got to have it. By the way, my whole family's back there. My wife, my kids, and my mother-in-law. You can meet them later. Babe, I got to have it. I need it. It, I I probably won't need the next one when it comes out. Right? Right? I I probably won't need it. It, This this is the best thing ever. It's going to make me happy. Until... September comes around and Apple announces the next greatest big thing. And my heart says, Oh, wait, I thought that would have been enough. But it's really not. I need that new thing that's, that's coming. Now, I'm not going to confess to you whether I'm buying the new iPhone today or not. But this is my dust. It's going to make me happy if I get it until the iPhone 12 comes out. Oh, man, this garbage? This <laughs> garbage? This doesn't make me happy. Who needs this? Fill in your blank. Whatever your dust is, your dust will never satisfy you. It will always leave you dry, disappointed, and lead to no real satisfaction. Not that there's anything wrong with having an iPhone. There might be something wrong in having an Android. I don't know. But Um, dust is idolatry, and the psalmist knows it. Oh, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need life according to your word. And he says, my soul clings to this stuff. Give me life according to your word. Man shall not live by bread alone. How do we live? It's through the word of God. It's through the word of God that God acts. It's his way of doing things. Think about it. Let there be light and there was God creates through the word. Jesus spoke to the storm, peace be still, and he calmed the wind and the waves. Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man, dead for four days, lives. It's the same word that God calls you to repentance when you become born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you hear that message and you say I want that it's through always through the word of God it's the word of God that gives life creates life sustains life the psalmist knows this the real life real satisfaction real delight of my heart and soul is not in the dust but it's in God's word he says in verse 26 when I told of When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Again, that's another word for God's word, statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. It's another way to refer to God's word. And I will meditate on your wondrous works you see it's the word of god being when we dig deep down into the word that we can see how glorious and good and holy and righteous and majestic god truly is and when we see those things when we have that kind of appetite and that love for god through his word the dust doesn't look so appealing does it because we know that our hearts will never be satisfied by these things. He says in verse 28, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. His, his soul melts away for sorrow. Why? Because he's clinging to the dust. It just doesn't work long term. Dust is like cotton candy. It tastes great for a second, right? And that's all. <laughs> Once it touches your tongue, there is no lasting satisfaction. This instant gratification by instant taste, but then it's gone. And then it gives you that weird aftertaste, which I always hate. And if you eat too much, it gives you stomach ache. Right? That's like the dust. The psalmist says, "I've clung to the dust, and now I'm." melting away in sorrow God I'm depressed discouraged I've lost my identity what does he say strengthen me strengthen me how not give me more dust give me more of your word so beautiful yeah we need to feast on his word dive deep into your bibles and john piper says swim in it behold your god who will melt away your sorrows he says i have verse 30 chosen the way of faithfulness i set your rules before me i cling to your testimonies o lord let me not be put to shame i will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart hmm notice those action words i have chosen I set, I cling, not to dust. How does he close this stanza? I cling to your testimonies, and I will run in the way of your commandments. When? When you enlarge my heart. Oh God, what he's saying is make my heart bigger so that I may take in more of you. Oh, Lord, I need you. I want you. I don't want any more dust. Why? Because God's word's enough. Hmm. God's word is enough. Remember the woman at the well? John chapter 4, she goes for water. Jesus asks her for a drink. This surprised her. And Jesus eventually says to her about the well that she's getting the water from, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is not just our great example in the sufficiency of the word to battle sin. He's also our great example in knowing that not only is there a written word to give us victory, but there's also an incarnate word. It's no mistake that John begins his gospel by saying what? In the beginning was the Word. And who is that Word, the Logos? It's Jesus. And then he goes through that chapter. By him all things were created. Takes us back to Genesis language. What the Word of God creates, it's Jesus. The Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is enough. And he says the Word lived amongst us, dwelled amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Son, of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is sufficient to clear your dust and your sorrow, to give you real life because He is the Word of God. He is living water. And when you have that word, when you have that water, your dust will look like dust. And you won't desire it as much. Let's go to the last one. I know time is short. It's sufficient to keep you hungry for God. One of the things Jesus said that just amazes me After he leaves the woman at the well, his disciples are concerned for him and they say, has he eaten yet? Give him something to eat. And Jesus replies in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Oh yeah, the Father sent the Son by His Word. Jesus, obedient to that Word, said, that Word is more important to me in this moment than eating. Remember where He just came from, ministering to a woman, a Samaritan woman, at a well. "I'll, I'll eat. But the word and the work my Father has sent me to do is important. And when you see things like this, I believe through the Holy Spirit, you will grow a hunger for God. That's what the Bible says, what Paul says, is newborn babes desire the milk of the word so that they could grow thereby. That's Peter, actually. Oh, It's this hunger, it's this growth in Christ that helps you see the Scriptures as invaluable, priceless, sweeter than any dust your soul wants to cling to. So I want to pray for you this morning that you would hunger after the Word. That as you believe that God's Word is authoritative for your life, that you will also stop and ask yourself what is my relationship to God's word like the psalmist as my great example Christ who did accomplish God the father's work Jesus died on the cross for sinners he absorbed the father's wrath canceling out the sin of his people so that all those who confess him as Lord and repent of their sins and believe on his name will be saved. Maybe you're saying, Dan, I don't hunger after God's word. The first question you have to ask yourself is, are you his? Because a hunger for God's word is, is a part of that. It's how it begins. You belong to him and he gives you his spirit, which gives you those cravings for the Word. Cravings that sound like this, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I mean, could you say that? If we had a stack of gold and silver here, thousands of gold and silver, And I say, pick one. You only have one choice. The psalmist says, give me your law, O God. Why? It's enough. Hmm. Or Psalm 119, 103 to 104. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That was huge. God, your your word is sweeter than honey. It's better than life. Oh, I tell you, I can go another 22 weeks. (laughs) But this is just a glimpse of how the psalmist feels about the law of the Lord. And I want to pray for you now. The worship team can come up. I want to pray for you that you have this hunger this morning. That you would crave and see God's word is sufficient in your life. And that you would praise him and glorify him. That you would ask the hard questions about what your dust is. And what your sin is. And what are you really hungering for? And only you can answer that question this today. Is God's word enough for you? Has it been? And what needs to change to make it so? Let me pray for you. Father, we need your help this morning. Help us as we apply these words to our hearts. Convict us, O God, to know the power and greatness and beauty of your word as a doxology of praise to you. Lord, help us to know that your word is sufficient in the battle against sin. Help us to follow our great example, Christ, who when tempted, quoted Scripture. Help us to also know the sufficiency of your word and delight in it. Oh Lord, over 30 times the psalmist uses the word delight and love and longing He had an intense appetite for your word. Create the same appetite within us. Give us this hunger that we see the psalmist have. And may it lead to endless joy and praise to you. And Father, I pray for those in here who do not know Christ, that do not have a relationship with you, That hunger doesn't exist because they have other questions to ask themselves today. It's who is Jesus? What do I do with him? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Or is he somebody else? Help them, Lord. Draw them by your Holy Spirit. May the gospel go forth in power and in victory today to save those who believe in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. We love you, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could help you any way today, if you want to talk to me after the service, if you don't know Jesus, if you need some other help and pray, I'd love to pray with you today. And I'm sure Pastor Pilgrim and Micah and everyone else, when they get back, James will also be a further help to you. God bless you, and thank you for this opportunity. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Lakewood Ranch YMCA. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at calvaryshoreline.com. God bless you.